How about your second patient? The second patient is more of a toxicity issue. 46-year-old guy from New Jersey came down, had progressed after similar eight cycles of Temidar following Temidar radiation, went on a clinical trial of Tarceva and Bev. We did his tumor phenotype. He was EGFRV3 positive. He was P10 normal. We said, oh, good. Tarceva should work. VEGF and EGF are two of the most important pathways for GBMs. He was on Tarceva Avastin for eight months, had a very nice response, improved clinically. Then he started getting one plus proteinuria, two plus proteinuria, three plus proteinuria. I do think the urine protein to creatinine ratio is very helpful. It tends to lag behind. So even when he got to three plus proteinuria, his UPC ratio was still in the one, 1.2 range, but eventually he did exceed 3.5. So what do you do in a patient who's clearly clinically responding, but develops proteinuria? We have seen some nephrotic syndromes and it's not fun. So it's really not a situation I think we can ignore. Yeah, we had a nephrotic syndrome patient in one of our conferences, a patient with breast cancer was having a great response. And you know, what do you do? So what did you do? What I like to do is my cutoff for the proteinuria is a UPC ratio of 3.5. I always hold Avastin at that point until they're less than 3.5, or if they do a 24-hour urine, has less than 3.5 grams of protein. This person did decrease it, and we cut the BEV in half, and we're able to maintain them on every two-week BEV with half dose, and his proteinuria, his UPC ratio stayed in the 2 to 3 range. So it was still there. The other thing that I think is real important to look at is the serum albumin. If that creeps below 2.5, you're in trouble, (laughs) and they're going to get anisarca, and then you really have to stop it permanently. So what happened with him? He's still on his Hmm. 5 milligrams per kilogram every two weeks. He's been on his Tarcive Vastin for, I think, 19 months now and still doing okay. That combination, obviously, there's a lot of interest in it. Lung cancer, I kind of have gotten the feeling that the EGFR TKIs are kind of going away in terms of GBM. Is that the case? And what about this combination? We have not seen significant activity of the EGFR TKIs in GBMs. In this clinical trial, really the combination was not any better than either Avastin alone or Avastin in some of our other chemotherapy trials. And Patrick, can you explain what EGFR V3 is? So about 40% of glioblastomas have amplification of EGFR, and about 40% of those patients have a constitutively active mutation called EGFR V3. This is a tumor-specific antigen, and so there are trials using vaccine therapy targeting that antigen. Is this like the EGFR mutation in lung cancer? It's a different mutation. It's a deletion of the extracellular domain, and it's a constitutively active one, so it's not a point mutation. Right. And it's just in the tumor? It's a deletion mutant just in the tumor, so Hmm. that, as Patrick's just about to say, that it makes it for a tumor-specific antigen. Interesting. And you said there's a vaccine looking at that? There are a number of trials using vaccines directed against this antigen. One of them is a peptide vaccine that's in a phase two trial right now. And what about P10? Again, we're hearing that in different tumors. What do we know about P10 and GBM? P10 is lost or mutated in maybe 40-50% of glioblastomas. And there's a study from UCLA that suggested that those patients who had the EGFR V3 mutation and intact P10 are more likely to respond to EGFR receptor inhibitors. I think one common problem that occurs in patients with bevacizumab 
is that these patients are prone to deep vein thrombosis and PEs. And so the issue always comes up is whether it's safe to anticoagulate them with low molecular heparin. So this is a very common clinical problem. And there's been at least one small study that Tim did at UCLA suggesting that it's probably safe to use Lovenox with bevacizumab in glioblastoma patients. In the BRAIN study, the randomized study, patients who had DVTs or developed DVTs were allowed to be anticoagulated. And remain on study. And remain on study, except if a PE occurred, then they had to come off. And it appeared to be safe as well. So, but I think that's right. I think that's what probably people in the community want to oh, hear about. Oh, there is a feeling that. out there, I can't use Avastin because the patient's on Lovenox, right. right, exactly. And that's not correct. Let me just mention one thing about the PEs because I do think that's a critical point, that when the patient develops their DVT or PE, you have to image the brain to make sure there's not fresh hemorrhage there before you begin your anticoagulation. We've had a few where they didn't do a non-contrast head CT, had blood there. It's a disaster. But if they do have blood, then you have to put an IVC filter in. But I think if, as long as there's no fresh blood, they can continue their avastin while being anticoagulated. 